welcome to Reconstructed Podcast, where we hear extraordinary journeys told by people who live them. Join us on the journey through the discovery of trauma and how we reconstruct who we are. Today, we are going to hear from Tiffany and her journey of the day her life changed due to a TBI. What if no one believed you and assumed your erratic behavior made you a drug addict? Reconstructed Podcast is intended for mature audiences. Episodes discuss topics that may be triggering like suicide, suicidal ideation, abuse, and substance abuse. We are not doctors or therapists. If you are in need of support, go to www.reconstructedpodcast.com. Some names have been changed for anonymity purposes. All right, so today we're going to talk about trauma, obviously, but we want to talk about our stories and like what has made us who we are today. So, Tiffany, let's get into your trauma, girl. Ooh, ooh. Okay, so back in 2015, I wrestled. Kind of like WWE, but for girls because we're awesome like that. I was doing a stunt, and I wasn't trained properly. We were filming the stunt. Um, hold on. Wait. When you say, de- like, <laughs> what kind of wrestling? When you're saying you were filming a stunt. Like, WWE. So, like, NXT type shit? Yeah, like, I was actually being filmed to throw How people around the ring when I was 24. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I've made some crazy decisions in my life. We'll discuss that later on. She's also in bodybuilding competitions, just so we could throw this out there. So, like, preface the WWE throwing people around the ring with <laughs> Tiffany's bodybuilding competitions. <laughs> um, <clears throat> before we filmed this specific stunt, they had a stuntman come in and show us how it should be done. They told me to, as when... As I'm landing, to turn my head, but what they failed to tell me was to turn my head and tilt it so that I would hit my cheek. They forget that small little detail. We started filming the stunt. I had a six-foot Canadian professional girl wrestler pick me up like a rag doll, put me over her shoulder. She suplexed me and body slammed me from six feet up. I did not tilt my head. And I hit directly on my forehead, which instantly caused a concussion. Did it knock you out? It didn't, but it instantly confused me. Made you fuzzy? Yeah, instantly put me in a confusion. Instantly um, made me confused where I was. I wasn't sure what I was doing, like, instantaneously. Damn. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I they, they knew that something was immediately wrong um I'm one of those types of people you just rub dirt on it I grew up in the country so I wasn't really quick to go to the hospital I just wanted to lay there for a few to see how I felt and then um to just let me hang out before we had to go home and I just I just wanted to be home so we left um but I ended up with a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. and So something that duct tape can't fix. Yeah, it's definitely not <laughs> something duct tape can fix. But They say it fixes everything, but... I guess not that. Um, TBIs. 
Yeah, that was that is something that we will probably discuss in a later episode. Um, that's a thing all by itself. It creates so many things from just one little moment. Um, so we'll probably touch upon that sometime later, but it changed me. It changed me completely. I used to be a happy-go-lucky person. I loved life, was always optimistic, super positive, and it, they say, like, where you hit on your head, it really affects your behavior and your emotions, and I hit right on my negative frontal lobe where it controls all my negative emotions, all my negative behaviors, and it just instantly catapulted me into anger and depression, major anxiety, um, I had erratic behavior, I was starting to drink and do drugs, and that's something that I don't normally do. Um, so you had never messed with drugs before your TBI? No, not like this. Um, I would occasionally smoke weed. Sorry, Mom. But otherwise... Weed isn't a drug. <laughs> weed is a medicine. Um, yeah, I just... I didn't do these things because I was always competing in bodybuilding shows and had these things that I was doing that, you know, took my time and energy elsewhere. But nevertheless, um, the issue with having a bad bruise on your brain is nobody can see it. Nobody, like everybody assumes that you're okay because on the outside you seem okay. But in reality, I was having angry outbursts. I heard music that wasn't playing. I developed aphasia where you speak out and in your brain you think you're saying it right, but in reality you're saying it backwards. I, I've had migraines that that's happened to, and that's yeah. very scary. Just like to be in a migraine and think you're saying like, the dog walked across the street, and you say... Bananas, roses, and strawberries. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. And I still thought that I was just speaking normally. Like, I, I didn't hear it, but the people around me did. And they questioned it, but thought I was on drugs, even though I wasn't. I feel like that's something that's not given enough, like, light to, is that people who have disabilities, it's not always a physical disability. Exactly. Your mental disability caused you to act these ways, but you weren't given the grace that other people would have gotten if it were a physical disability. Exactly. I mean, just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It was it was a thing that was wrecking my entire life. And it was silently because nobody around me understood. They thought that I was just being difficult, uh, that I was doing things that I wasn't doing. I didn't even start really partying until later on. Like, so, like, the, at the beginning, it was just confusion. It, it, it just, it was confusion. It was wild, but... It's kind of crazy to think the amount of grace we don't give people. You're right. I feel like we should have made this, <laughs> like, giving grace podcast, because, like, that's the one thing that I have fucking learned through my trauma is, like... No, like, I did not understand what grace was until I had to go through some shit and had to give myself grace. Like, and now it's like I give grace so much to everyone, whereas before I went through this, oh, she don't know. 
yeah. like her. She's just going through like, oh, she's depressed, you know? Like, I had never dealt with depression before I dealt with depression. Yeah. And before then, I would have been that person that looked at you and was like, ugh, disability, missability, you know? like Yeah. You just don't know until you, I mean, really experience it. Um, I seem pretty fine on the outside, on, apart from the major behavioral changes. My close friends just thought I was acting out, being dramatic. They disregarded it. I mean, to be fair, they had their st- own stuff going on. I don't expect other people to do anything for me or to be a certain way for me. So it was what it was. But Grace. Yes. So let's fast forward a year from this. I'm doing great. I've worked on myself so much. I don't have health insurance, so I'm doing all the kind of backwoods stuff. Like, I'm doing yoga in my bedroom, and I'm meditating on my lunch break at work, trying everything I can to get my brain chemistry back to somewhat right. Um, Preface that with, you're a very spiritual person. Yes, and I am a very spiritual person, but that came after. Okay. Yeah, that came after. I. Um, so what made you, like, want to, I guess, just anything... Yeah, um, I decided since I'm doing great and I'm in a good mental place, um, at the time I was a bartender. I bartended downtown. I loved everybody that I was friends with. Hadn't been hanging out with them for a while because I needed to get myself right. And I decided that I was going to go out and hang out with friends and have a drink. It was a Sunday. I had one drink at one place and then we left to go to another and I had a total of two drinks there so a total of three drinks all night long I remember exactly what I drank I remember how many I drank I ordered that third drink drank about half of it and then about 30 minutes later I couldn't use my legs and everything went black and I found out later on that someone had roofied me. It is something that I didn't see coming because it was someone within the friend group that I thought I was friends with because that was the only people that were out at the time. So, yeah, um, that's something, again, we could probably discuss later on. Um, You got home safe? Well, that was weird. So I had a friend know where I live because I live downtown and they decided to put me in a cab and they they thought I was just drunk then they put me in a cab and told the cab to where to go the cab driver took me to my house carried me to the front door because I could not wake up or walk which is so unlike me like in general like that cab driver could have taken advantage of you exactly you're exactly. never really supposed to like just leave your friend with a cab yeah. driver when they're that which is why I said supposed friend. Like, thank God for the cab driver, though. Yeah. Yes. So, he carries me up to the front door because I am incoherent, which, again, is not like me. This is not like me. Just because people sit there and say that this person does this or this person's this way does not mean that that is that way. I was not that type of person. I wasn't. I always knew how to get home. I knew, always knew that I got home. Like, I never got to that level. And I, it was just wild. So, my roommate answers the door, pulls me in, shuts the door, and I walk three steps and then f- pass out from my height, five, six, 
to the ground. And on the way, I hit the corner of a coffee table, you guessed it, in the exact same place as the first time I hit my head. Just barely missing the corner by, like, a quarter of an inch from my temple. So, um... What are the fucking odds? Yeah. And, and, it knocked me out for about 25 minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then while I was out, I, like, it just... It was a bad night. Just to preface this, my mouth is open right now because I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, this is the first time this has ever been said out loud in detail. This is this is wild. So I got knocked out. My roommate freaking out naturally. She wasn't sure what to do. Um, took me to the hospital and come to find out I had yet again another... So you can get multiple TBIs? Like, it does it just, like, stack on to the one you already have? Like, you have now two TBIs. It kind of does stack on. So the more you get, the worse it gets. Okay. So, and I got one, like, essentially back-to-back within a year's time. So, and... You stirring that brain up. Oh, yeah. Like some scrambled eggs. Oh, yeah. The more you get, the worse the symptoms are. And for longer that you have it. So, like... I'm still I'm still experiencing symptoms from it and that was when I was 24 and 25 and I'm 31 now. So like some things are residual. Yeah, but it just is what it is. They um so yeah, I found out that I had yet another concussion and it's funny because even the hospital's like, "Oh, you got a concussion. Do this and this." And that's it. Like, there's not much people can do for it, which is unfortunate. So then the next day, I'm thinking, I'm going to be a team player, and I'm just going to go to work because it's not that bad. I'm just a little... Because I'm a woman, and I'm a badass bitch, and I just (laughs) do things because I do. And I realized about mm, probably the end of my shift, which says a lot. I, I made it through the end of my shift. It was bad. I was throwing up. I had light sensitivity. I couldn't keep my eyes open. It was very bad. After this moment, it, it life was different. Life was forever different. It it just completely catapulted me into a major depression, um, major anger. Like it, it, whatever depression I experienced from the first time, it was like someone slammed me back into that depressive hole and slid a solid rock over the opening and there was just no way out. Like, I was stuck. Um, Again, I didn't have health insurance, so I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what resources I had. I I didn't understand what was at my disposal in my community that I could take advantage of to figure out what I could do to fix this issue because it just felt compounded. And it felt like it was huge. Um, And I also had nobody around me believing me. And seeing it for what it was. Um, So, like, you had so much, like, basically, like, the way I'm seeing it, like, metaphorically, you have this plate. And, like, think of, like, your Thanksgiving dinner plate. And it's just so piled up that the plate just, like, breaks. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt. Like, your plate broke. Yeah, and there was... People around me that tried to fix the plate mixed with the food. And, like, instead of clearing the food away and getting the pieces of the plate and putting it together. They just kept trying to put the food back on the plate and yes. put the plate together. Yes. But it would just break again because yeah. there's just as much food. Yeah. Like, or, or my 
um, not so personal favorite, they would just walk over the broken shards and think that it was it's not okay. their fucking problem. Yeah, it's okay. No big deal. She'll get it together one day. Yeah. Mm. She must be going through puberty at 27. So, <laughs> this was 25, um, and it just, it really, really started something different. I, this is when I first started really partying. It sounds like you lost yourself. Oh, I lost myself 1,000%. I was not that happy-go-lucky, positive, optimistic person anymore. I was the complete opposite. Did you feel that, though? Like, did you, like, mentally in your head, did you say, like, did you feel like, I used to be this person, what the fuck is wrong with me? Or were you just, like, Yeah, I mean, dark. I think part of it, I was just dark. But a lot of, like, something, like, another part of me, it was... I, I like, did know. you realize you were that dark, I guess, oh, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, because it was such a stark difference between the beginning of who I was till then that it was night and day. Yeah. It was an absolute yin and yang. Like, I got It to, even sounds night and day from who you are now, too, you know? It is. I mean, it's one of those things where, again, nobody could see the bruise, nobody could see the gash or the cut, so... I had to be okay. It's like just on the most important organ of your body, but... Yeah, I had to be okay. And I had to live with the repercussions of what happened both times in silence because nobody understood. And they oftentimes were like, just go get a therapist. Well, I'm sorry, but therapy is like $75 minimum. And at the time, it just didn't seem feasible. Um, But I just, it really... It really changed me. I started partying more. After the first one, I started in upping my alcohol intake, if anything. That was what I started doing more than anything then. But after the second one, I started doing drugs. I started partying, and it happened by going to a party. Someone offered me cocaine, and I tried it, and I realized it was the first time in almost two years that... I felt happy. Um, my brain felt happy. It wasn't depressed. It wasn't dark. And I kept chasing that feeling because it was the only thing I had that seemed like help. Well, that eventually became something and it absolutely turned my life around even more. I got to 26 and was... I realized when I was doing certain things um, in that environment, partying all night, working during the day, um, calling out of work because I had just partied or I was still awake. Um, it just wasn't for me and I didn't want it. And I knew every step of the way I needed to make changes, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to fix it because... My brain was such a mess. I'd forget things. I, you know, I, I would forget appointments. I'd forget to pay bills. It was bad. My my short-term memory was non-existent, which made it so difficult. And then when I'd say, oh, I'd forget, it's just seen as an excuse. It's seen as me being lazy or not um, proactive. And it's just one of those things where... Again, it's a bruise that someone can't see. and Or people blamed 
the substance abuse. Yes. Whereas, like, yes, maybe the substance abuse had a little bit to do with it, but what yep. was causing you to abuse these substances that there was something mentally that you needed to abuse substances for, and why didn't people think about that instead of, like, oh, she's doing drugs? Yeah, I mean, I spent a good portion of this second, after this second head injury, um, questioning why I'm here, why I was put here to suffer, why, um, like, death could definitely be better than this because I had such a scrambled brain and nobody, and I mean nobody, was giving me any slack. They didn't one bit. I had people say I was a crackhead, I was a drug addict, I was, you know, manic or doing this or that, when in reality it was literally a brain injury. And the substances were just band-aids that were for a time, but not forever. I can imagine how lonely that felt. I felt extremely lonely, which fed into the depression. And... I mean, I got it from my family, I got it from my close friends, my roommate, my trainer, everybody around me gave me the short end of the stick, and it just was super unfortunate, which is why this is a main reason why I was driven to do this podcast, because, man, it's amazing how much someone can go through and nobody know it. I I was struggling the worst I've ever struggled in my entire life and it was under everyone's noses and nobody knew and I was saying it I was saying I was up I was dealing with a lot and instead of people helping me they're like just go just go find a therapist like you need to go to rehab I'm just like so just like from my my trauma and what I've been through with like substance abuse in my life being the person on the outside looking at the substance abuser, mm-hmm. or however you would say that, substance abuser, I was very much, like, I didn't have that grace, like I said before. It was very much like, you're choosing this. Yeah. You've done this. Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing the drugs, and it's causing you to be this way. That's the way that I would see people that were using drugs. When now, obviously, I look at it, and I'm like, wow, what you had to go through to get there. Yeah, and that's a very important point that Carrie just made. I mean, we do see certain things and just assume. And I'm a prime example. You can't do that. You just can't. Not everyone is doing what you think they're doing. It's it's bigger than that sometimes. And for me, it was. I literally thought I was going crazy. And that didn't help either. And it took someone that I think is absolutely amazing and he probably doesn't know this which I probably should tell him but I have a friend that came over one day and was just hanging out with my roommates and we just got to talking and he's been in MMA has fight training and we just got to talking about stuff I was experiencing and we got into this conversation and he's like oh yeah this is this right oh yeah, you're experiencing this. And for the first time in almost two years, I had one human, just one human out of every single person in my life. You felt seen. Understood. Understood what I was going through. Understood 
for every detail and actually validated the fact that I was legitimately going through it. Made me not feel crazy. Made me understand like, okay, I'm not hearing things. I'm, I'm not just losing my mind. I'm not a psychopath. Exactly. Like literally this is something that happened and it's, it's real. It's actually real life. And it just, that meant the world to me because even my roommate, best friends, uh, personal trainer at the time, nobody, nobody said any or did anything. They, they, they just assumed I was being erratic and choosing this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So it was, it was frustrating, but it ended with me going very hard partying for about a few months. And it got to the point where the owner of the bar I was working at at the time, take the week off, get your head right. Um, you know, try and get yourself back to a good place and we will, you can come back fresh and strong. And I was like, okay. So I took the week off and I came back into town on Friday and I ended up partying still. And I came back and just was a mess. I went that night and hung out with a friend. And yet again, this is another person that has didn't know what I was dealing with, didn't know where I was at mentally, didn't know how dark of a place I had gotten myself to, or just the accumulation of things. Um, he was kind. He was giving me advice about life and just was a very bright and happy place for me in that moment. And it was nice, but he never knew where I was at. I left his house that Friday night, came back to my boyfriend's house where I was living at the time. Even though he was my boyfriend, I was just staying there for a period of time because um, my last house, it, like, something happened. It was a leak in the roof and we had to move out. So I was only living there temporarily and I didn't want to live with him. So I was kind of like, it was a roommate situation, but we were dating. It was weird, whatever. <laughs> so it is what it is. Um, anyways, I came home and was sitting there thinking about my life and how things have gotten to that point. And I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to go to sleep. Woke up Saturday morning, April 15th. No, April 18th. Sorry. And just remember thinking, I am not, I, I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't feel good, bad. I don't feel the darkness. I don't feel the light. I don't feel anything. I felt empty. I remember going into my bathroom and I cut my arm three different times because I wanted to feel something and I didn't even feel that. I didn't feel physical pain. I didn't feel anything. And I remember sitting there on the floor thinking, if I can't feel physical pain and I can't feel even the darkness, then what is the point of being alive? Why should I still be alive if my inside's already dead? And in that moment, I realized, you know what? What do I have? 
I don't have anyone in my corner. I don't have any support system. I don't have, you know, my friends aren't friends. Nobody I thought I knew, I knew anymore. I questioned everything and everyone, and it just seemed pointless. Um, I made a choice right then and there that I was going to commit suicide that night. And I spent that entire day rounding up a cocktail of pharmaceutical drugs. I didn't eat one thing that day. The last time I ate was Friday morning on my way back to town. I remember this like it was yesterday. I went four different places and got a handful of things from each person and matched it with stuff I had at my house and put it all together in a giant drug cocktail. I went home about 8 p.m. and ran into my room to grab what I knew I had and my boyfriend was home and could tell I was being erratic and could tell I was more unnormal than normal <laughs> and he I was racing around trying to find what I was looking for and so I got a pauses to explain something. My bedroom at the time was the master. The walk-in closet was a true walk-in closet. From the beginning to the back of the closet, it was like at least seven feet. So just so we're clear about what that closet looked like for just in a minute. Um, Did you write any letters or anything? Or were you just, you couldn't? What do you, oh no, I didn't. planned? No, I didn't write any letters. I didn't leave anyone anything, which looking back is like extremely selfish. Um, I, I just, in my mind thought, what's the point? I feel like when you're going through suicidal ideation, like you don't, I don't think you can think about other people. Yeah, you're right. I couldn't. I mean, it, it did not even cross my mind. It did not even cross my mind. The only thing the only thing that I did was find something as far as Lily goes. So, I got home. Lily, her dog. Yes, my sweet <laughs> girl. I got home, was racing around trying to find um, what pills I had. And my boyfriend at the time was racing around with me and was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know you're doing something. What are you doing? And then finally he's like, oh, I know what you're doing. And he, like, he never said it, but he insinuated that he knew what I was attempting to do. And he's like, I'm not going to let you do that. I, you're, you can't do that. He picks me up, takes me to the beginning of the closet and literally throws me in. And I hit the back wall. Uh, from the very beginning of the closet. So I was... With your head? Oh, with my whole body. Like, my whole body hit the back wall of this closet from seven feet out. Like, then he takes the door, slams it shut, and holds it with all of his strength. He is six foot five, 200-some pounds, holding this door closed. And when you talk about an angry woman... I beat a hole in that door because I felt like I was being trapped. 
I kicked the door open, kicked a hole, and it made him open the door. He opens the door. I charge out. He grabs me and wrestles me to the ground very, very hard. Like, puts me in one of the most fucked up pretzels. Finally, I kick him so that he gets off of me. I hope in the nuts. I can't remember. But it was effective regardless. Effective kick. (laughs) He, I get up and grab all of what I need and run out, get in my car, race out. So I leave, I go to my, I go to someone I know's house. I will say. So you effectively got the pillies too though. Yep. I got the pills that I looked for. So I go to this person's house who knew what I was doing. Um, I'm just going to leave complete animosity or Anonymity? Anonymity. We're struggling with that word Uh, today. See an enemy. (laughs) (laughs) We, um, I'll leave that completely private, but he let me come to his house. He knew what I was doing, and I asked him one thing. What are you planning on doing tomorrow when I don't wake up? And he's like, that's... For me to decide and figure out. Are you still friends with this friend? Yes. Yes. His whole thing- He respected what you wanted. Yes, he really did. And to be honest with you, when I I talked to him briefly earlier in the day, and then he randomly called me that night and was like, can I ask you a question? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, you're going to commit suicide tonight, aren't you? And I was like, yes, I am. And I was like, you're not going to try and stop me, are you? And he's like, no, but I care about you enough that I don't want you to do it in your car on the side of the road. He didn't want you to be alone. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's what he, that's what he said. Um, he didn't want me to be alone. So basically he would put himself through trauma just to know that, like, you had somebody. Yes. So he, um, allowed me to come to his house and... Uh, let me sleep in his bed. Promised would not touch me, which did not. Um, and I, before, a few minutes before midnight, took a whole handful and then went to sleep. And in the meantime, my boyfriend at the time um, had called the sheriff's department to try and find me, which I'm super clever and knew that what I was doing and where I was going nobody would find me and I did it specifically that way because I was determined it was one of those things where they had them going to every previous address contacted my family so it was pretty intense um and I didn't know this well I hadn't ate anything since Friday morning, and this is now early Sunday morning. I took more pills than a 125-pound girl should ever take, um, enough to put down a small horse. But I woke up the next morning. I got up. Walked outside, puked a little bit, and then was mad instantly because I failed. I failed at something that I thought I would succeed at. I 
don't know how, I don't know why, but it it didn't work, and I was angry. I Did looked you at, feel bad? In what way? Like, did the pills make you at least feel bad, or it literally just, like, didn't have any effect? You just threw up a little bit and, like... Um, well, I, I didn't realize um, that I thought I was good. Like, I felt okay in the moment. Like, I felt groggy and weird and out of it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, well, later on, come to find out, I was super messed up. Like, way more messed up than I ever thought. Like, out for days messed up. Um, but nevertheless. But I, not hospitalized messed up. No, I mean, it 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 should have been, which is wild. But I know. I woke up, I looked at my phone, saw that it was going crazy from my family and my boyfriend. God, I have to fucking deal with that, too. Yeah, and then wake up and deal with all of that, which is wild. It's like, damn, that's... Anyways, so I called my sister, who is an absolute angel. Love her. She has always accepted me for where I'm at today. And I called her and said, hey, I need a ride. After... She spent all night worrying that I'm committing suicide. She immediately says, okay, where you at? No questions asked. Came, picked me up. Still, no questions asked. We're just having a normal conversation. Like, what the fuck? Was it normal that you were really that fucked up? Okay, it definitely was not normal <laughs> at all. So, yeah, we get back to my boyfriend's house where I was staying to get clothes. And that's it. I was planning on making a run for it. I don't really know why, but I was. Were you, like, making a run from everybody? Just, like, when you get to the parking lot, just, yeah. (laughs) So, I planned on doing it that way. But I, um, I ended up running into the house to get clothes. And, again, keep in mind, I had no idea that my boyfriend told anybody. I didn't know that he had called the cops. I didn't know any of this at the time. you didn't know your sister even knew? No. Okay. No. I didn't know anybody knew anything. I mean, I kind of guessed that my family knew because of the text messages and phone calls I got while I was, like, in my limbo. Incapacitated? There you go. Um, So I go into the house to get clothes, and... What do you know? I walk out to two cop cars, my mom and dad, my sister, Damn. all these people. And was he there? Yep. He was sitting in the kitchen, smug, being a not good person and being mean. Being mean. He was being mean. Um, so a narcissist. Yeah. He was definitely a big narcissist, but he was like, who in their right mind after you, they think you just committed, instead of being like, oh my God, you're here. Yeah. He, so he was mean to me and which was like, again, like one of those for me, like, okay, I'm going to leave now because this sucks. Well, I walk outside and the cop pulls me aside and says, so... I think you know what you have to do. And I'll, I kind of assumed in the back of my head, but I waited for him to say it. And he's like, so you either have your family take you straight to the hospital or we take you in the back of the cop car in handcuffs. Your choice. Pause. That's traumatic as fuck. Uh, yeah. How the... Yeah. 
we're gonna arrest you. You're already in this fucking state of mind, but we're gonna make it worse. Like, yeah. yeah. It was, um, and I mean, like... Like, I guess I understand, like, the concept of they wanted to get you there. Yeah. But, like, he was threatening I mean, you and, like, putting handcuffs was, and throwing you in the back of a cop car is not the way. Yeah, I mean, he was really nice and really, really sweet about it, but that was the gist, and that was, like, his, the way he put it, like, you either go with your family or, or we take you. Exactly, which essentially it all was involuntary. Yeah. So just the way you got there. <laughs> yeah. Cuffed or not. So I spent the ride to the hospital talking to my sister about how hungry I was, which is very par for the course for my life. And I go to I get there, get to the emergency room, and they send me through two double doors that lock behind you. And that's where it started. I was in the emergency room and then got some blood work. And it's funny because I remember thinking, wow, I hope my mom doesn't find out that I smoked weed. <laughs> like, that's what I'm worried about. Anyways. <laughs> Not like the freaking cocktail of oxys and Xanax. Yeah, <laughs> like, Priorities. I, um, my mom and my sister were sitting with me and they were trying to keep me in good spirits, which I was super appreciative of. Um, this was on Sunday, April 19th. I went into the hospital and I was there for almost three weeks. I was in a unit that is heavily watched. Um, I couldn't have... Even shoestrings. So suicide watch. Oh, I was on strong suicide watch. My mom works in a a uh, psych ward. She's like talked to me my whole life about everything that goes into that. Like they even have beds that can't have anything. Yep. That can like have a hook or a way that someone can attach yep. to, or they cannot have it in there. Like yep. it it's is, like think about the toilets. Oh yeah, think about childproofing times like a million. Like the toilets, the sinks, none of them can have a way. It can't have For corners. Someone. Yep. They can't like, have corners. Like it's all circular. Like it's wild. It is wild. No but TBIs in there. No. Sorry. That was not. <laughs> too soon. I just want to go ahead and throw out that I like to make jokes when I'm uncomfortable and like I like to make things lighter. And I'm not making joke of the situation more Comic relief. Just yes. Comic relief. Yes. And hey, there so is... So no TBIs in the suicide ward. Yeah, so there... And hey, trust me, I'm the first to tell you that I offer comic relief any chance I get because why not? <laughs> it's heavy. It's heavy material. Um, yeah, so I went in on a Sunday. Um, I was so messed up. So to answer your question, Carrie, I was so messed up that I went in on a Sunday and didn't know where I was until Wednesday. What did your blood test show? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> I bet that thing was just <sighs> popping off them motherfucking charts. It really was. So, so glad you asked. I, this was like, what, a good 12 hours at, more after you took the actual drugs? I took them on Saturday, and this was on Wednesday when I finally saw the report. Like, I woke up Wednesday, had been on the unit for three days, and didn't even know was walking around talking to people and I didn't even know just so we are clear about that <laughs> I woke up Wednesday my doctor was like oh you're finally coherent and I'm like apparently I've been this whole time but whatever 
back to you. Like, okay, whatever, Sally. And she's like, well, let's, let's go talk. Brought me into a room with a desk and a computer. Pulled up my toxicology report. And she's like, okay, girl, let's talk. Turns the computer around. She's like, do you see all of this? She's like, this is lit up like a Christmas tree. That's all the drugs you had in your system. That is all the stuff you've had from, like, a few days before you did whatever you did up until now. Every single thing but, like, one, maybe three things were lit up. (laughs) So. Side note, for my dad, it was like, I don't even know what these things are right here. Like, what are these even? <laughs> yeah, I did too. <laughs> it's I like, so you have all this, but like, do you even know what, I don't even, I've never even heard of this and I'm a doctor. Yeah, like, can you tell me? <laughs> I, so she turned it around, showed me, and she's like, this is a little like a Christmas tree. And I was like, um, weirdly, like, shocked, even though I knew that I, like, what I had done. And she was like, look, I took an oath. I'm not supposed to have one opinion or another that I express to my patients, but I think you need to go back to your room today and get down on your hands and knees and thank the good Lord above for keeping you here because you should not be here today. You should not be sitting in this chair. There's no physical possible way that you had that experience and nothing on your stomach and you're alive and with no significant repercussions from what you did and she was like I talk to me like tell me like what's going on let's let's figure this out and I expressed to her all of what has happened up until that point and this was the literally the only other person two people two people in this entire three years time of me going through this battle that finally saw it for what it was I explained to her all of what had happened, and she goes, oh, so this isn't a substance abuse problem. This is a head injury problem. And I was like, yes, thank you. It has nothing to do with the substance abuse. She's like, you're probably doing substance abuse because your behavior is erratic from you hitting your head, and that's a key sign from someone hitting their head. And I was like, yes, thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, I want, I want it to be known because I don't want to be treated the whole time for substance abuse. Like a druggie. Exactly. When that has nothing to do with what I had going on. She's like, I understand. We are going to absolutely redo your whole treatment plan because this isn't what we originally thought it was for. And she's like, you are going to be put in intensive therapy Um, you have to do one-on-one psychotherapy, you have to do a bunch of testing to see where your brain functions is and stuff like that, and we did find a couple things, like, my short-term memory is very low, um, I had a couple other things that were not where they should be, anywhere close, so we actually had physical proof that my head was injured, there was issues, and now we're trying to get a game plan on how to fix it. Um, they put me on medication to regulate the depression and anxiety. Um, when I left, I moved back in with my parents because I was on suicide watch for a long time. I 
had to be under constant supervision all the time. Um, they go on a scale of color, green being good, red being bad. I was in the red zone. And they said, you know, she's going to be in the red zone for a little bit. Just watch her. So I was being babysat. And I took about three or four months just getting back to right. And it was really tough. Um, I was in therapy four days a week. And that was group therapy. Then I had my individual therapist once a week. No, it was twice a week. And then it went to once a week. So I was, if I wasn't in therapy, I was with my mom and dad. <laughs> That's how I lived my life. Um, the day after I got out of the hospital, I called my job and quit. That day that I walked out of the hospital, I decided that I didn't want to be back. I wanted to get away from the people, places, and things that didn't serve me, that hindered my life. I made the conscious choice that I wasn't going to bartend ever again. I wasn't going to step foot back in that bar again. I wouldn't step foot in the places that helped to be detrimental to my health. I cut off the people, places, and things. Um, I still have people that from that time period say, wow, why, why don't we hang out ever again? Well, because you're doing things still to this day that I don't want to do anymore. I wasn't doing it because I just want to do it. I did it because I needed something to survive to the next moment. You need relief. You needed relief. I needed relief. And it, I found something that ultimately worked for me and I don't need that kind of stuff anymore. Um, and I, it was after the hospital that for me, I found my spirituality, um, in for intense, you know, for this podcast purposes, we'll just make it, I, I found spirit. I found, you know, something to believe in and something to anchor myself to to make it easier for me to go through my day-to-day -day life um and to really like dive into something good and positive and it was an uphill battle I mean I it was brand new to me I um grew up in a spiritual household but this was something personal and I was having to you grew up in a conditioned spirituality in yeah. a spirituality that had rules and regulations yeah I mean it was a typical traditional Christian household like it was in I mean I have no one thought on one religion or another I'm non-denominational I I just you're just less traditional like you you found your own spirituality exactly whereas like we're raised into what we think spirituality should be. Yeah. And so, like, when you find your own, it's like a whole different life, a whole different light in your life. Like, you found your purpose, your reason. That's how me and Tiffany actually got to know each other. Well, spirit put us beside of each other. Uh -huh. We moved in beside of each other during uh, quarantine for COVID. And then um, we actually didn't even talk whenever that was a thing, when she was my neighbor. And after that, we started talking about our spirituality and just, like, how we got to our spirituality. And damn. Yep. So, 
We, uh, that's what I started doing. I dove headfirst into that. Um, it took me about a month after I got out of the hospital to stop being angry. Um, which is super weird because you find that people that are spiritual, like, and something happened, they get mad with their creator. I just felt in awe that, like, I knew at the moment that I was still angry that it didn't work. And I was still angry that, like, oh, man, I fucked this up, too. Um, were you still angry at people? Um... When you say you're angry. Not so much. I was just angry with myself because it didn't, I would, I wasn't successful at it. Like, I, I, I guess the better way of putting that is I was angry I was still alive. Um, and I battled that a lot. I battled that in therapy a lot too. Like, it's wild to want to do something so badly. It, and it's something so big. Like, it took me about a month. And after that, I started to realize, you know what? I'm here better make the best of it. Like, obviously, I have a purpose here. Obviously, there's thing, other things I, I need to take care of and do. Started putting my feet forward, finding out where I can make better choices. And I started with cutting the people, places, and things that didn't serve my life and didn't make me happy. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Fast forward to today, I'm 31. I'm so, so happy. I, you wouldn't even, so this is the first time I've heard this story about Tiffany. Yeah. And I would never have guessed that you've had a TBI. Yeah, no. Like, to the, that extent. Like, I know that you had tried to commit suicide at some point, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the why. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. Like, not many people understand why, well, one, the people closest to me probably still don't understand how I got to that point because I haven't really been open about it. Um, But the people that were around my life, if I told them today any of this, they would be extremely surprised because I was always happy to them but suffering inside because that's what I wanted them to see. I I didn't feel like I had a supportive cast of people around me um I didn't feel like anyone would believe me anyways because nobody ever did and they always made light of it so for me it was like suck it up buttercup let's just get through and figure out how to get through from day to day like that's really where I was at and it was just one of those things where I tried my best and you know now like I've mentioned it to one or two people here and there and in like almost in passing almost and they're so shocked they're so shocked because they're like oh wow I remember you around that time period like sure you got a little crazy every now and then but like I never thought it was that bad and it just goes to show you like you don't know what people are dealing with you have no idea what people are dealing with I was I always tried to be sweet and nice because I, I had to overcompensate the fact that I was so angry and dark inside. I didn't want people to see my darkness. And now I want to talk about my darkness. I want to talk about what I went through and how I went through it because I want even Shed just Shed light on your darkness. Yeah, I mean Your darkness is the reason that you are light today. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me it's important that even just one person in the world knows 
it does get better. It does get better. I was a bartender, you know, partying, doing drugs, um, struggling with a head injury, and now I'm a business owner. Amazing, amazing people around me. They're an absolute support system. They're just all around amazing people. And it's a cultivation over time. It takes, it does take time, but I'm so, so glad I stuck it out. I'm so glad that I was still, I'm still here. Like, I'm glad that I can contribute to the world the way that I was always designed to. Um, I still don't know what exactly that looks like. I'm hoping it's through this podcast, but I just want anyone and everyone that has went through it, is going through it, or will go through it to know that it does get better. Life does get better. It There's so much more out there for you. If your environment's not working, change it. If the people, places, and things aren't working for you, change it. You don't have to feel that way. There are resources in your community. All the resources that I have come through, the hospital, the therapists, the group therapy, all of it was free because I was in such a weird place mentally. Um, Financially, I didn't have the means. Yeah, I I just hope that we can touch upon someone's life and help bring them some peace. This story is for the people who are outside, who are in your life, who didn't understand what you were going through. Absolutely. For all the everyone else who maybe doesn't have the suicidal ideation, but maybe people you know have it and maybe you can be their beacon of light and maybe you can give them grace and maybe you can see it from maybe they're struggling and what are they going through instead of uh they're just a shitty person they're just they're selfish they're drug addicts they're this they're this because that's not always 99% of the time a drug addict is not just a drug addict there is a reason that they are doing this drug to make they want relief from something. Exactly. People don't just wake up and say, oh, I think I'm going to do drugs today. Oh, heroin sounds great. Let's just fucking get addicted to it. Like, no one just wants to be addicted yeah. to heroin, but people do want relief from the pain that they're in. Yeah. And, I mean, may that be physical, emotional, um, mental, uh, seen or unseen. The unseen is the hardest. They yeah. say, I don't know the actual statistics, but like when it comes to like, let's say physical and mental abuse, it's a lot harder to get past mental abuse than it is physical. I agree. It really is. I mean, it's just one of those things that uh, we we are all in this life together. We are all just walking each other home at the end of the day. So why can't we help each other and be there for each other? Basically, we should try and give people grace. It's we we have no idea what people are going through. We don't have no idea what people are dealing with, um, even on the most minute scale. Yeah, even on the smallest of scales, it's just. There was this story recently that I listened to, and it was this man who was raised by a woman. His mom was very manic and just like was very verbally abusive, so he went through his whole life looking for that kind of love. And it put him into this lifestyle of drugs and addiction because he thought love was screaming and getting hurt and, like, verbal abuse and just abuse in general. And, like, you don't even think about, like, 
why does this cat keep going for, sorry, I shouldn't say cat. Why does this guy, why does this guy keep going for these crazy women? Hmm, maybe his mother was crazy and that's his trauma. Like we're all trauma responses. That's what we are. We are a trauma response, good or bad. Yep. It makes you who you are, but you have to be aware of what your trauma is and you have to be aware of what other people's traumas could be so that you can give them grace because we're all human. And like she said, we're all interconnected. So anyways, thanks friends for listening to our story. Yep. That's my story. Thank you for listening. Um, I'm sure some of my closer friends and family will be a little surprised about some of the details, but that's, this is your story for a reason. This is my story. Um, we are going to be as transparent and raw as we possibly can be so that we can help people and that I think we need more of that in the world today is transparency. And um, uh, that is one thing I can promise any of our listeners is I will always try my best to be as transparent as possible, even with difficult topics, because I mean, just because it's difficult doesn't change the fact that it's still existing in the world today. My dad committed suicide. So I'm actually going to tell my story on the next episode of the person on the outside like Tiffany's friends almost, who looked at that person and saw them as a drug addict. And then really what that created for my father. But anyways, we'll get into that on the next episode. Stay safe, friends. Talk to people. Love people. If you need any support, notes down there. We have some notes with some resources and some good links for you to go to to check out some resources in your, um, maybe in your local area. Yeah, we'll chat with you guys next time. But also, if you have any stories, just, like, email them to us or, like, send them to us on Instagram, anything. Send us your stories because we want to hear them and put them on here. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yep. (laughs) So we'll have that um, Instagram and email address at the end of the podcast notes. We love you. We're sending you love and light and all the happiness and good energy your way. Thanks. Bye. Join us next time for some more extraordinary and forked up journeys. For resources, check out our podcast notes. If you have a story you want to share with us, please email us or send it on Instagram. We would love to hear it and share it. Till then, friends, stay forkin' safe. Hashtag traumatized as fork. Fork, yeah.